0: to them, children of the night, what music they make.
1: Welcome back to Score to Death, the podcast the official companion podcast to the book scored to death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. The book is available from Silman James Press and can be purchased on Amazon and from other book retailers. It contains 14 in-depth interviews with renowned film music composers that have made significant contributions to the horror genre. My name is J. Blake Fischera, And the goal of both the book and this podcast is to explore the craft of film scoring and celebrate the amazing composers that do it. This is part two of an interview with composer Craig Saffin. In part one, we spoke at length about his musical background, being mentored by Elmer Bernstein, his creative process, his score for the film Fade to Black, working with director Michael Mann on the film Thief, the composer Bernard Herrmann, and much, much more. And in this episode, we're going to dive much deeper into his film work. So let's get started. Can we talk a little bit about Wolfen? Sure. Because I think it's become probably well especially amongst the horror community but i think and even maybe even in general it's become probably one of the most popular replaced scores
0: (laughs) yeah well that's because uh intrada released my score to it that's why
1: (laughs) yeah for for people that don't know this it was one of those situations where things got changed in post-production right
0: it was one of those things where the director got fired yeah so what happened was that the that i was hired to do it and I'd been doing a lot of electronics, and I had uh, gotten s- sick of it, and I thought, well I'm going to do th- when I got this movie, I thought, I'm going to do it totally with a big orchestra, but I'm going to make it sound like just sound pictures. I'm not going to have any melodies. it's going to be just sounds. So it's what's called uh, aleatoric music. <laughs> So the music is almost half improvised by a full symphony orchestra and uh, it's cool. And uh, the director was all for that, but uh, the director and the producer were making two different movies and they eventually fired the director, let me do my score. And then like a day after I did the score, the new director basically uh, axed my score and uh, then hired James Horner to do it, to do the next score. So that just happens. It happens to everybody. There's a whole big book of it, if you ever are really interested. There's just a book about replaced scores, and that's in it. But, uh you know, every... As my agent used to represent Nicholas Rosa, and he used to say the mark of maturity in a young composer is having his first score thrown out. Yeah. So... It's just part of the business, it's not pleasant, it was very upsetting. I thought it was a really good score, but it was just, uh, it was a political situation. The new director came in and he basically recut the entire film, he threw out my score, recut the film, rescored it, and like started from scratch and I was part of the old team. I mean, that's really all it was. I mean, I've replaced people's scores too. Yeah, I repl- replaced other composer scores, so it's just the reality of the business. You have to have a thick skin.
1: Where did the idea to approach it with that iliatoric style come from?
0: Uh, well, I think it came from a few things. We were trying to get a sound for the the supernatural wolves, so I was recording a lot of weird sounds using different reverbs and resonant frequencies and recording didgeridoos and bull roars, and I was just trying to really go out there. And then I really didn't want to use electronic music, because I just felt I wanted something more real. And I felt I could get all those same interesting sounds, but with an orchestra. So I had been listening to Penderecki, who was a composer who wrote in this style. And then I was, uh, there was a movie called Altered States. (laughs) And I was at the recording session, the composer's name is John Carigliano, who only has done a few films, he mostly writes concert music, but he writes in this very, very modern style, and I was in there with him when he was recording, it, and I think I was very influenced by it. And at that point, I just thought, you know, I'm sick of just doing synclavier scores, I'm going to do something just with orchestras and make them play their instruments in ways they've never played them before. You know, so I worked with all the players to figure out ways. How can you play this trumpet without a mouthpiece? How can you, you know, tune water glasses and use your bow on them? I mean, all that kind of stuff. So it was fun.
1: Do you find that they were open to that?
0: (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Most players are very open. First of all, they're so bored playing the same thing. So they really liked that I would go to their house and I'd say, okay, show me. Show me how you can play three notes at once on your uh, clarinet because there's a whole world of multiphonics where you can play more than one note and so i you know I just listened and talked to them and recorded and wrote it down and used it in the score and they're all over, all those sounds are in that score, so I was really glad uh the first thing I did was because uh, I was friends with Doug Faket in. Trotta Records, and we had put together some of my demos. And so I went there uh, up to Berkeley and just put out, made a CD of My Wolf and Score, you know, just for collectors. Yeah. And then a few years later, I guess, Introda decided they were going to really release it for real. And they did, which was great. So, yeah. So it's a cool score, it's pretty unique.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I have a copy, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I urge everybody else to get one, too. I would like to talk about the film Nightmares. Okay. One thing I, when I was re-watching it in kind of preparation for this, one thing that stuck out to me was how little music... It is in it. There's large chunks of it that th- doesn't have music. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, the importance of silence and not having music.
0: Well, honestly, I don't really remember. It was a pretty quick job. And uh, it was coming off of Wolfen. So I used a lot of that same kind of composing in it. Mm-hmm. But it was also an anthology, so it was, I think, four different stories? Yes. I mean, I haven't seen it in many years, but if it's an anthology, probably what I would do is try to get a different sound for each segment of the anthology, and maybe one of them was, you know, just didn't seem like it needed a lot of music. I mean, obviously silence is really important, especially in horror films. In in horror films, when you cut out the music is when the audience gets the most scared. I think it's like when the music stops, Uh Oh, you know? Yeah.
1: A director that you've worked with numerous occasions is Nick Castle. How did you meet him and start working with him?
0: Uh, I met him actually through Elmer Bernstein. Nick had made a low budget film called tag, the assassination game. And in the per- The producer's father was friends with Elmer, and they wanted Elmer to do it, and Elmer didn't really want to do it. And sort of, we had the same agent, and he recommended me, which was great, because that's how I began my relationship with Nick. And so I did the music, and uh, then I ended up doing
1: quite a few movies with Nick. A film that I absolutely love, and I would imagine that you've found that there's an entire generation of People that love The Last Starfighter and the score to it. Yeah. Going into that film, you mentioned earlier that there was definitely kind of a preconceived notion that you would have to, it would have to be orchestral and it would be, have to be big sure. to kind of compete with the John Williams thing. But from researching you and, and now talking to you for a while, I would imagine that even though that was expected, there was probably a longing not to just do a John Williams thing, but kind of carve out your own thing for it. So could you talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure. Well, like I said, you really had to do that space opera music. There was really no choice, and it really is based on that whole sounds really based on a piece of music by Holst and the planets. Star Wars was temp track with the planets before John Williams came and that's sort of the granddaddy of all the space music that we're familiar with so you can, you can hear the influences of that throughout Star Wars and all those movies I think what I did was I used to love Sibelius and so I listened more to him and his sounds which were a little more romantic then i also wanted to use a lot of woodwind so i had a huge woodwind section bigger than a normal woodwind section and then i also included uh some synthesizers which were never in any of the star wars movies they never use synthesizers in any of those so i had a uh, so there's a lot of a lot of synth in it which now sounds very eighties some of that synth stuff. <laughs> it's inevitable. But it's sort of cool. Yeah, yeah. Well that's just the way it is. Whenever you think you're hip, just remember in you know, twenty years <laughs> it'll be nostalgic. It won't be it won't be hip anymore. Especially when it comes to technology. But totally when it comes to technology. Yeah. So so I mean I really wanted I, I used quite a few synths, which was tricky because it was all done live with this like eighty piece orchestra. And there were a lot of technical issues because a lot of the synths were sequenced, which means they were pre-programmed so they could play super fast. So like over the Death Star sequence. Uh There's just all this super fast stuff with the orchestra coming in and out. And that was all tricky to do, but it, but it came out great. And, uh, And then with the Sibelius, I don't know what it was. And I think then the other thing that was that I sort of, rather than having lots of themes, there's only, there's really only one main theme. There's a couple of sub themes, but there's mostly one main theme and I use it for romance. I use it for adventure. I use it for longing. I use it for, you know, it's just used every possible way. So it's fast, it's slow, it's, orchestrated a million different ways and that's that that's one thing about that score it has a super strong theme that just comes back in a
1: million different ways sure i mean for instance my probably one of my in as i've gotten older i've become a real softy so (laughs) one of my favorite scenes in the film is towards the beginning and it's when alex played by lance guest is sitting in his room yeah looking up at the model planets and the, the music in that scene is so fantastic So captures this, like, longing to be somewhere else. And Nick Castle's touch of having, like, a conversation going on outside and having Lance Guest lip the conversation, like he's heard this a million times living in this tiny right. trailer park. Yeah, yeah it's... uh it's just, it's yeah. fantastic. And, you and know, that's
0: the same theme that then gets played by the 70-piece orchestra <laughs> later on when, uh, you know, in the victory march in yeah. outer space. So
1: it's something that I think you've done a few times, which is kind of have this one main theme that, that can kind of gets kind of reimagined. Yeah. In a film like Last Starfighter, we have basically two very different worlds. I mean, we have... Mm-hmm this small park and this family, you know, he's got his girlfriend and he wants to be somewhere else. And then we have like this intergalactic space opera happening. Is it a way to keep continuity? Yeah. Because the
0: theme, the theme isn't really about where they are. It's really about the interior of the film. So the interior of the film is about longing to break out, longing to do something wonderful, longing to have adventure, longing to be in love so that theme really represents the interior of the character. So whether he's in a trailer park or whether he's in outer space shooting, you know, shooting up bad guys, or with his girlfriend, you're you're always speaking from his inner life, and that's why I would use the same
1: theme for all that. Yeah, uh, I heard that on some of the score you used an aluminophone. Oh, aluminophone. Yeah. Yeah. I... <laughs> What What is an aluminophone? Like, can you talk a little bit about Emil Richards?
0: Yeah, Emil. Emil invented a bunch of... Emil is a wonderful uh, percussionist and pretty famous as a, as a vibraphone player, a jazz vibraphone player. And he just loved inventing new percussion instruments as well as collecting percussion instruments from all over the world. And this is before you could just go and buy samples of everything like you can now. He had a huge warehouse and I would go to the warehouse and he'd walk me through these things and he'd have like instruments built of giant cardboard tubes that then you hit with a, like you slapped them with a rubber mallet and they'd resonate. You know, he 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 just invented all this amazing stuff and had other people inventing it too. And one of the things, the Aluminophone that I liked, it's basically a vibraphone, but made with aluminum. And it's, instead of uh, 12 notes to an octave, it's something like 24. So he it's tuned in quarter tones. So I use it as sort of just to, to glissando on it, to swoop. And it just has this wonderful feeling of magic when you do it. It's a beautiful sounding instrument.
1: Yeah. I know that uh, Nick Castle is a musical person and his parents were. I think it was his his father that was a choreographer.
0: His dad choreographed a lot of the tap dancing. He uh, Royal Wedding he choreographed with Fred Astaire. He choreographed the Nicholas Brothers. Who were great African American tap dancers, and were in some of the Shirley Temple movies. Yeah, he, he was he did a lot of the the movies back then.
1: And I think I think I've even heard Nick say that in a lot of ways he felt like he was approaching Last Starfighter as a musical but without right. you know, songs. Yeah, he loved musicals. What's it like working with him? What's his way of conveying to you what he's looking for?
0: Well, he's probably the director I've worked with more than any other and he is very easy to work with in that he is musical. He'll listen to what I do. He'll make little comments. But basically, he sort of just lets me do what I want to do. He, you know, we talk about it. We maybe play different musical ideas. We talk about a general approach. And then I just sort of play through what I'm doing. And he may have a few comments, but he's, he he generally is not a micromanager at all. He, he trusts the people he hires and uh, trusts that they're going to do, you know, their best work. So he's a pleasure to work with, but he's not like just leaving you alone either. I mean, he, he is, yeah he is there and you talk through the scenes and occasionally little changes might get made in the scenes. If they, if you want the rhythm to feel a little different, you might cut something down or add
1: something, things like that. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to the next film, I would like to talk a little bit about Centauri's music. Okay and uh, maybe talk about how you came about the sounds that you used for that.
0: Sure. Well, that was one of the only other themes that was in Starfighter, because I felt he should have his own theme. And again, like I said earlier, I I grew up loving musicals, so I loved Robert Preston. And The Music Man is really one of the all-time great musicals and great musical films, and Robert Preston's performance is just, unbelievably wonderful and so this character was definitely based on the, like the alien version of uh, Professor Henry Hill in The Music band. yeah and so I sort of wrote a theme that was almost like a snake charmer because he's like always charming everybody you know he's just talking a mile a minute and he's just bsing left and right and, and he, he's so good at it so I thought, well, I'll write a, uh, like a, like almost a, uh, like a comedy thing, but like sort of comedy chords, but, but have sort of almost like a snake charmer sound. Uh, I used what was called an electric woodwind instrument which was basically called an ewi, and basically you play it like you play a clarinet so it has all the same finger fingerings and all that but it attaches to a synthesizer so it triggers a synthesizer but not the normal way, which is through a keyboard, it, you can get all the same sort of intonations and phrasing that you would get in a clarinet yeah. or a woodwind instrument, which is very different than a keyboard. And I wrote it for the, the clarinet player to play, but on an electric woodwind instrument. And I, I got a sound that was sort of between a clarinet and uh, an Arabian I don't know the name of the instrument uh, offhand but you know like a a snake charmer's instrument sure so it had sort of a nasal reedy sound and that was his theme
1: yeah Uh, another film and score that I absolutely love is uh, and I imagine you get asked about this often as well as uh, Reba Williams The Adventure Begins this is a circumstance where you're kind of bridging Western and Eastern sounds. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your approach with that.
0: Sure. This was a super complex score. I think it was the most complicated score I've ever written. Yeah. So the sub-character is Korean, and it was about a Korean martial arts practice. And so superhero music, sort of heroic music, but then... The lead character, Remo, has to go through this whole training period where he's learning this Korean art. So I really wanted to use real Korean sounds. I didn't want it to be just generic Asian music. that just sounds like it's out of a cartoon. So luckily here in LA, we have a very large Korean population. And I went over to UCLA and talked to a bunch of uh, Korean musicians and found out there was a Korean orchestra. I learned about all the different instruments, and uh, I ended up, overdubbing, let's see, we had a full orchestra, we had 24 tracks of Synclavier,
1: which is a synthesizer.
0: Yeah. And then over that, I overdubbed this like 10 piece Korean orchestra. (laughs) And so it's very challenging to do this because getting all these different elements to actually work together is complex. First of all, the Koreans. Because they're ethnic instruments, they don't really play exactly in the same tuning as a Western orchestra. So that was a challenge at the beginning. Also, when you're doing all those things together and they have to match up with film, you're, everybody's playing to a click track. And a lot of these players, as the Koreans, had never played with a click track. So they naturally, when they play louder, they play faster. Yeah. And they, they're just natural things that they do within their music. So all that had to be dealt with, and it it was pretty frustrating. But we eventually got it all together, and it is sort of a fun score. I mean, it's a super, super complicated score. Yeah. But it is fun.
1: I love how the film kind of opens with these Korean tones.
0: Exactly. (laughs)
1: almost like misdirection because then we have the reveal that what we're looking at is not in asia it's it's new york city the whole time
0: yeah right because it's just like these visuals that you're not sure what they are and i'm playing the korean theme which is actually based on a korean folk song and with these weird instruments and then suddenly you're in superhero land so (laughs) it's, it's fun yeah, the main title's really fun. I actually reorchestrated the main title, so it could be played by a regular symphony orchestra, and it's been performed a bunch of
1: times. Yeah. You also had to adapt it, because you also scored the pilot for a potential series. Right. That was after the movie. How, how do you go about kind of scaling it down to do it for television? Well...
0: Honestly, I don't really remember. I think I just used a lot more synthesizers. And did a lot more of it in my studio. And then I did all the synth parts in my studio and then brought those tracks to the recording studio and added a few orchestral things i don't think i used any korean instruments in that i probably used percussion that sounded appropriate but i don't think i brought in the korean band for that that was going to be too too complex and take too much time frankly
1: how did you come to work on uh Nightmare on elm street for the dream master
0: Well, uh, Robert Shea, who was the head of New Line Cinema, I think he heard Rima Williams or saw it, and he basically said, I want that guy to do Elm Street. So that's how that happened. (laughs) Pretty simple.
1: It's an interesting series because it's it's, uh, one of the few, I think, horror franchises that where I think every installment is- comp- the music is composed by somebody else, yeah, it is and it's all and they're all great composers, like charles bernstein who's in who's in my book and, and chris Christopher Young did the second one he's in my book as well sure, uh what was it like working with Rennie Harlan? this I think was only his second American film
0: right. it was pretty easy to work with Rennie, I mean he was a character uh he you know he 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 was one of those guys who who I think liked sound effects much more than music. Yeah. But he heard all my music. He liked it a lot. I decided to do the whole thing electronically, use no orchestra whatsoever. I think Chris used only orchestra.
1: Uh, Yeah, but that was was because, (laughs) according to him, uh, that was because uh, Lafshay was so upset that Charles Bernstein did it synthesized because... thought with the budget he gave him he should have had a full orchestra so that was kind of the deal for chris to do the second one it had to be a full orchestra
0: that never came up with me i just said i wanted to do it that way and everybody said great i mean it was uh maybe i didn't get as much money as charles (laughs) uh but uh yeah so working with rennie um it was it was pretty hands-off he was very involved in the mix, so he was really into pushing the sound effects and pushing all the, as, making everything as extreme as possible. But the music sounds good, I think, in the film. I mean, there were times at the time I felt the music was sort of being sacrificed for the effects. Yeah. But but I saw it not too long ago. I think it was on some cable channel, and I went, oh wow, I can really hear all the music. I guess I just was in that mood where I wanted it only to be music and no effects.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, you know, he was pretty easy to work with. He was not. He was pretty hands off, but but you know, had a lot of suggestions. Again, I tried to make each sequence have its own point of view because it's it is sort of a very
1: episodic story in many ways so can you talk a little bit about that kind of characterizing each scene each sequence
0: yeah each sequence was different so i tried to get a different sound it was all electronic but i mean the most obvious being there was a kung fu sequence so i had a lot of asian sounds in that There's a sequence where she's turned into a cockroach and goes into a roach motel, and so I sort of got this sound, this low sample contrabass clarinet that I made sound almost like an insect, like a buzzing insect. And then at the end where It it was like you're in a church. So, the last scene, the resurrection, the very final scene, where Freddie's temporarily killed, because I don't think you can ever really kill Freddie. It I did a lot of Bach organ, you know, like big giant organ with synths. make it sound like you were in a cathedral yeah so each part of it i just gave its own each segment i gave its own personality
1: i also noticed that after the temporary demise of Freddy, you also kind of bring in a, kind of a very pretty synthesized orchestra theme for the ending
0: Right, right. Well, that's sort of Alice's theme. The girl's theme was really beautiful, and it was like a big romantic theme, and that sort of is her victory more than anything. Yeah. And then I kept that going. Then, of course, you see Freddy, and you go, oh, I guess he isn't dead. <laughs> I guess there's another sequel. I'm going to milk it for another sequel. i know.
1: He also went back and added Charles Bernstein's original theme throughout the movie
0: I did that a few times yeah, I used it two or three times. I just thought that was the right thing to do because i I thought it was a good theme and and that that was you know that's I would have liked someone to do that with me if they if that came up,
1: so that was kind of your decision that wasn't asked of you
0: they were never they never asked it no, but I thought it it's good to give these things a little continuity
1: yeah I mean it's because it's that's something that like Chris didn't do for instance, and
0: uh, well uh, I never really see I never really saw any of them except for the first one. I never saw any I watched the first one and that was it and uh i I thought that i i mean I think I used the theme
1: two or three times at the most. do you find that the role of the music in horror films is different than other genres? Hmm. Uh, It may be more
0: manipulative, but I don't know that the role is, it's still dealing with subtext. And I mean, what it does do in a horror film, it does sort of, it, 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 what music does, it sort of attacks you where you can't protect yourself. So you can't stop it from affecting your body. So horror music is always affecting your body in some way. It's changing your blood rate, it's changing your temperature, it's making you tap your foot and then making you not tap your foot. I mean, it's it's tricky. It, it's tricking you musically all the time. So it, maybe it just does it more in a more extreme manner than other movies.
1: One of the things that I don't think a lot of people think about is that there's actually a very close relationship between comedy and horror in terms of tension and release, you know, the way a joke works as opposed to like a, a suspense shock scene. And, and they're mm-hmm. both all about timing in a lot of ways. And you've scored every kind of, <laughs> every genre of film, basically. Do you find that uh, musically, how you approach it, that there's a, there's a relationship uh, there between comedy and horror? I think when, now
0: that you mention it there is, I just did a, uh, a new score for uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Kid, and so that was sort of a challenge because there's no sound effects at all and no dialogue. Yeah. And you do, you you sort of set up something and then you stop and wait and let the joke play out and then come back in after the joke. And in a funny way you do that with horror too, you sort of lead up, lead up and then you stop and then everybody gets way off balance and then the bad thing happens and then you come back in with the music. <laughs> so I think there is a similar there is a similarity in terms of the
1: timing. Yeah. You also scored the game Leisure Suit Larry five.
0: Yeah, that was a weird thing.
1: But yeah, I did. <laughs> how did that come about and how does scoring a game like that differ from scoring a film?
0: Well, it came about there was a young kid I knew, and who was like in high school, and he was working. I think he had a internship with this company up in the Bay Area that was doing these video games, and he he got me the job. <laughs> he yeah. said, "Craig, I got you this job." I said, "Really?" I mean, he was like sixteen or something. So I did it, and uh, the difference. Well, first of all, in those days, it was. The sound reproduction—I forget the name of the synthesizer—but you could only do eight sounds at once. You were very limited your sound. It wasn't like you could like today, where it's basically you can do anything. So that's why those early um, eight-bit sounds sound—you know—they're very limited the sound palette that you have. And then the other thing is just that everything has to be written so that it repeats until a certain button is pushed and then it goes to the next piece of music. And then you're it's a different kind of thing. It's not like, like a movie is always the same every time, but a game is different every time. Yeah. So you may get stuck in a certain world. Well, that music still has to keep going, even mm-hmm. though you're stuck in this place. You know.
1: Aside from the temp scoring, which we've discussed earlier, aside from temp scoring, how has... Technology really changed the process, I mean, in terms of now doing mock-ups and stuff, has it how has it altered like the way you work, and is it all positive or is it negative as well?:
0: I think the, the real negative is temp tracks. I think that really is negative to creativity. Everything else is pretty positive in that you basically can do anything, and you can do most of it in your studio you know, I think I've heard a lot of scores that then they go and do live, but they're doing them live. They don't really even need to because the synthesized scores are so good. Yeah. So the technology is just makes, makes it, I mean, I don't even write out music very much anymore. I mean, I just play into my computer and a lot of times I never write more than a couple of notes down just to remind myself of the themes. Everything else is just played right into the computer. So So, you don't have to really be able to write the music down anymore like you used to. That's a big change.
1: Do you find that, uh, you know, back in the day when you would sit down with the director or the producer, it'd be a matter of playing it out on a piano and playing them to different parts and kind of describing to them what it was going to sound like? Whereas now you can do like these mock ups. You know, I, I found like Chris Young, for instance, talked to me about how he almost doesn't really like the mock up doing the mock because they now expect it to sound exactly like it's going to be in the film exactly well
0: that's what they do well yeah so back in the day the people the producer and director really didn't know what you, what the score was going to sound like i mean i can remember in the last starfighter playing the themes to the producer and director on a piano And I'm going, and now six trumpets play this and the horns and the strings come in and I'm playing it on the piano and I know they have no idea what I'm talking about because (laughs) it's just too, it's pretty hard to imagine. And so the first time they really heard the music was with the orchestra sitting in front of them and, you know, and the problem with that, the converse is, is that if they don't like it, they're paying this huge amount of money to have, you know, all these people and it's very difficult to put a stop to it or to redo it whereas with mockups you really do get to hear everything the way it's meant to be of course that allows you to be more of a like a nitpicker than than the other way because you can just keep commenting and making little changes that mean nothing yeah. and you know so it's fr- that is frustrating in and of itself but on the other hand the tension of that first recording session where everybody is going is it good is it not good and i don't know about you but i have trouble hearing music even the first time i hear it and i'm a musician it takes me a few times to hear something yeah and so i all these producers and directors have to make these instantaneous decisions <laughs> and they're not and it's not re- realistic sure so that's that sort of was worse back then uh what's worse now is that It can be so overproduced, the mock-ups and the temp track, that there's no room. It really stifles creativity.
1: Recently, I talked to Joseph Mm LaDuca, and he talked about circumstances where the plan was to go with like an orchestra or at least a small string ensemble. But then when they got the the mock-up, they're like, this is fine. This is good enough, (laughs)
0: exactly i feel I feel like a lot of big movies they do the orchestra because they can, but there's no real reason to yeah, it's more of like for the producers so they can feel like they're making a movie, <laughs> but it doesn't do anything,
1: yeah, as we're winding up here, I would love to, to uh talk about just if there's any session or experience, not necessarily the finished product, but anything that you worked on where it's like your' you know your favorite you have fond memories of it.
0: Well, I, I've i been very lucky and uh, I've worked on some really good stuff. And I think the most fun was The Last Starfighter because it just, everything came together. The orchestra sounded fantastic. We were in the old MGM Studios, which is Sony Studios. And, you know, where a lot of great movies were recorded, like The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. And it was it was just a great experience and the score just sounded so beautiful. The other was a mini series I did called Son of the Morning Star. Western Little Bighorn, and that that score, I actually recorded it in Utah, and it just sounded beautiful. So they're just the moments when, when everything seems to really come together.
1: Uh, is there anything about your process that you might think is unique that I wouldn't know to ask about?
0: Hmm. Not really. I think I've just told you. I think it's just you have to let yourself be free and not put any filters. Just go for it. And but you need that critical eye. <laughs> at the same time, you have to have that yeah. split personality. But I think I just love sound, and I love I love melodic sound, but I love just sound too. And so I'm pretty open when it comes to what music is.
1: Now, see, that's uh, the, the the last question, which. You could use the same answer for because I think that's great advice, which is, but the last question is, do you have any advice for somebody that was looking to pursue scoring films?
0: My main advice is never say no. In other words, if somebody says, can you do this kind of music? Always say yes. That's my main advice. Really, seriously.
1: <laughs> I, I I agree. I mean, I think that I, my, my day job is as a... Is as an editor uh, for television, and they're always like, "Do you do? Have you done this before, or do you know how to use this? This?" Uh, yeah, you, <laughs> this you learn. System? Yeah, I know how you to learn. Do a, that.
0: You learn. A, yeah, you learn <laughs> on the job. That's what I did. I just went, "Okay, I can do that. I can do an all-electronic score, and I just look, read the books,
1: figure it out." Craig, this was amazing. Uh, I appreciate your time. Can I put in one plug? Sure, of course. Okay, I have. Uh, an album that came, I've
0: been doing my own albums of my own music without film. My last one was called Rough Magic, but my new one is coming out on Varese Saraband, which is mostly a film music label, and it's called Sirens, and it's my impressions of Homer's Odyssey.
1: Anything you want to say about it more than that?
0: Oh, well, I wanted to figure out where all the locations were in the Odyssey, all the islands he went to. So I did a lot of research and most of them were around Sicily in that area. So I traveled to those areas. I recorded uh, in caves and quarries. All the reverbs are from those areas. I uh, used a lot of sound effects and a lot of melodies and it's sort of more of a... not a literal transcription of the odyssey as much as my impressions of different parts of it and it's a combination of electronic music but it with live instruments it has quite a few live instruments as well and it's uh, just a
1: really beautiful album i'm really proud of it i of course need to thank craig Saffin for giving so much of his time and knowledge to the show i'm a huge fan of his work and this was a real thrill for me if you've been enjoying the podcast, the book Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other places you buy books. Or you can order a signed copy from me directly. Just contact me through scoredtodeath.com. You can also find and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scored to Scored to Death, the podcast, is now available on most podcast apps and distribution sites. As well as on soundcloud and youtube please consider subscribing rating and reviewing the show on itunes or on whichever provider you use to listen to podcasts ratings and reviews will be a great help in raising awareness for the podcast and in getting the podcast recommended to potential listeners my other podcast saturday night movie sleepovers can also be found on itunes google play and most places you find podcasts and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Satsleepovers. You can find Craig at craigsaffin.com, and his new album, Sirens, will be available from Varese Saraband on June 1st. Please make sure you check it out. And I should note that the short clips of music used in this podcast were used strictly to put aspects of the interview into context, to audibly illustrate specific things discussed, and for educational purposes. Craig's scores for The Last Starfighter Son of the Morning Star, Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins, Remo Williams' The Television Soundtrack, and his unused score for Wolfen are all available on CD from Entrada. The soundtrack for Nightmares is currently not available, but the film itself was recently released on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. The soundtrack from A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, is available on CD and on its original vinyl LP from Sara Band, as well as part of the Box of Souls vinyl LP box set from Death Waltz Records. And the soundtrack from Altered States by John Corigliano is available on vinyl LP from Waxwork Records and on CD from La La Land Records. Thank you so much for listening to Scored to Death, the podcast. Come back in two weeks for another in-depth interview with one of horror's greatest composers.